0: Subscribe to The Spectator in our Black Friday sale and get the next 12 weeks of the magazine, in print and online, for just £12. And we'll also throw in a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label Whiskey worth £30, absolutely free. Hurry though, this offer ends on Monday. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash Friday.
1: Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damian Thompson. Last week, out of a mixture of curiosity and boredom, I ended up sitting through an Anglican Eucharist online, broadcast by the Church of England from Holy Trinity Hereford, and it got me wondering, well, what is the standard and style of liturgy in your average Anglican parish church outside London, if there is such a thing? As a journalist, I'm familiar with the official, slightly hectoring and self-righteous voice of the official Church of England, its bishops and spokesmen. But There must be decades since I attended an Anglican Eucharist, and I don't really know very much about what it's like to be a practising Anglican layperson these days. So what you're about to hear is my conversation, and I really did enjoy it, with William Moore, who's the features editor of The Spectator and a 32-year-old steward of his local Anglican parish church in Sussex. I've been thinking about the Church of England, mm-hmm. which is something I used to think about all the time, 30 years ago, because I was religious affairs correspondent of The Telegraph, and the battle over women priests was raging so intensely that I spent an enormous amount of time in the company of Anglican clergy, particularly Anglo-Catholics, which meant I had a hangover most of the time. <laughs> and I attended for the first time in my life, a few Anglican services. They tended to be very high church ones. And also at Synod, I'd attend a service, and I'd get a feel for what an Anglican service was like. Because if you grow up Catholic, you have absolutely no feel for it. You never go to one. And the Book of Common Prayer is, you know, those, those famous prayers in the Book of Common Prayer are not famous to Catholics. We have many hymns in common. Anyway, what happened was, last Sunday, I appeared on Calvin Robinson's show on... GB News, mm. and we were talking about whether the Church of England should be so involved in social work and all the other secular concerns, and I said, no, it shouldn't, um, they have no expertise, they might as well, I've, I think I said something like, they might as well burn their churches down, that's, you know, that's about <laughs> as much good, that's all the good it will do them, and then Calvin, rather sneakily, on air, turned to me and said, have you been to Mass yet? And I said, no, I'm going this evening. Beautiful. thinking alright I've got to go no, to, yeah, yeah. Like so there. I <laughs> did and it was the Feast of Christ the King and mm-hmm. um, in my parish the wonderful parish priest Monsignor Keith Baltrop has instituted a scholar a t- tiny professional choir and a wonderful organist and it played even on the Sunday evenings when there aren't that many people there and we sang it being Feast of Christ the King praise my soul the King, the King of Heaven to the familiar tune mm-hmm. and then the next day, yeah, like I was on the internet, and I stumbled across the Church of England's official online communion service mm-hmm. for the week. It from Holy Trinity Hereford. We didn't see very much of it. it was, it's obviously a, a very old church, and it has a professional choir. And it gave me a little glimpse into what the Church of England in the countryside, or the Should we say, a grander church. I suppose it's a a town, but you know what I mean. Um, Looks like. And the first two things struck me. First of all, almost word for word, the service was the same as the Mass I had been to the night before. In other words, it was a Mass, though not described as such. And I noticed that they still used some of the translation of the Mass that catholics used until about 10 years ago so they were still saying holy 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 lord god of power and might which is a hideous translation and we've reverted to holy 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 lord god of hosts which nobody knows what it means but it's not as horrible as power and might but anyway i thought from the perspective of somebody you know who'd attended that church 100 years ago two things would have been inexpressibly shocking the first is that both the clergy were women And the preacher, a third priest, was also a woman. That would have been inexpressibly shocking. Um, And the other thing is that they would have wondered why a Roman Catholic Mass was being performed in their church, because the chief celebrant was wearing full chasuble, Gothic chasuble, but unmistakably Catholic vestments. And... The entire style of the service, the words, the rubrics, everything was what you might call solemn but modern mm. Catholic. Yes. Now, this would have been, certainly 100 years ago, pretty unfamiliar to your average Anglican. So there's, there's two big changes. But I was trying to gauge the health of the Church of England by what I saw on this very well-produced, very enjoyable Eucharist. And it was difficult to do so because at no point did the camera pan towards the congregation. We did see the choir, we, we heard it. They obviously are a prosperous enough church that they have a choir with a a, a proper organist, and very good they were too. Hmm. But I had a faint suspicion that it might possibly be filmed on a separate occasion. But judging by the number of voices that were responding, it was a very, very small
0: congregation. Yes, that uh, sounds unfortunately plausible. But uh... And
1: your a regular attender, Church of England, country services. And I wondered to what what extent it is typical that a service outside of London in a church which doesn't have an established churchmanship but isn't isn't particularly attached to one or other liturgical camp in the C of E in the way that they used to be 20, 30 years ago would use effectively the Roman Catholic Mass. How common it is to see full vestments i mean without bells and smells but full vestments and in your experience what's the what what are the sort of respective sizes of you know what what goes on number of people in the sanctuary and number of people in the church
0: yes well i think it like all things in the church of England, it just varies so very much on parish to parish which i think historically is can be both the strength and the weakness of the church of england parish system you have such flexibility in terms of, I suppose, the kind of wells you can draw f- draw from as a rector of a parish to kind of cobble together a service. And so, if you've got a rector who's very into a particular tradition, you could easily get something quite Anglo-Catholic. You could easily get something quite evangelical. And I think the words that are, are therefore said in the in the liturgy just a huge variation in the Church of England. I mean, you said there that the the, the Hereford service you watch was, was seemed very very kind sort of anglo catholic and i'm sure that's, that that is very common but but then there's others which would be so sort of evangelical and so um uh, and and ones that would be so very uh, modernized and and uh, i think you would almost not recognize them as as anything like services that you go to as a as a catholic i think there's just huge variety and i think that again it's the sort of strength of the church of england that you can you can draw on some beautiful bits of text and liturgy such as book of common prayer of course and Common worship, but there's all sorts of things that you, all sorts of resources a rector can get from Church of England website, which is officially sanctioned. You know, these are you, you can draw from these sources, and you can you can cobble together some, I think, some very diverse, very interesting services depending on where you are in the country and and who your rector is. You know,
1: well, there was a tremendous a lot of fighting about the oh, yeah. composition of what was once the alternative service book hmm. over because the Anglo-Catholics demanded a Eucharistic prayer that would. Encompass their theology, and yeah. the Anglicans, the evangelicals wanted one that you know, words of consecration wouldn't imply anything like transubstantiation. And mm. a, a friend of mine was involved in drafting these texts, but certainly what I heard in Hereford, yeah. I wouldn't so much call it Anglo Catholic as liberal Catholic, yeah, in other words, the priest dressed as a male priest in. Catholic Church would, but there was no great fuss over rubrics or incense, or it yeah, didn't have a sort yeah. of Anglo-Catholic feel to it at all. And you tend not to have yeah. Anglo-Catholicism flourishing in the countryside. Yes, it's I remember true. Remember a very mischievous Anglican priest I knew when he was at probably at Staggers when he was at, when he was an Anglo-Catholic theological college. He and his friends, after a few gins used to break into local drive into the countryside um, with lots of reliquaries and you know what you might call Anglo Catholic Tath. And these churches would be open and they would festoon they would bedeck <laughs> these churches with sort of a counter reformation um, ultra Catholic the vicar, vicar will get a little surprise when he walks so the good, next yeah. Morning. yeah. But I it's it, Speaking as a Catholic, mm. it's never struck me as a particular strength that you can be both Catholic and Protestant in the Church of England.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's that classic, the words of, Anglican fudge, really, it, 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 Well, it, um, it's always struck
1: me very odd that the words of the Eucharistic prayer mm. can be so framed that you can be on either side of the Reformation divide. Oh, yeah. But then, actually, when you consider, particularly this particular Pope, doesn't seem to care about these matters. And <laughs> serious surveys of Catholic congregations show that they don't. They, their, their ideas about the Eucharist are almost as woolly as any Anglican's but as i say i was struck by the fact that at no point were we be shown the size of the congregation yeah. and the figures i believe and it's difficult to arrive at authoritative figures but when i was covering the church of england it had about a million people in its churches every sunday and now that figure might be down to a third of that yeah. total over over 30 years yes. and that's a desperate decline. It's not quite as bad in the Catholic Church because we've had a huge influx of immigrants. Yeah. But that's a desperate decline. You're not old enough to remember the days when CV churches were fuller. But when you go to parish churches in the Church of England, mm. particularly outside London, yeah. are you used to them being pretty empty?
0: Pretty empty. Except at occasions such as weddings, funerals, you know, obviously that's, that's different. And that is, that is just quite lovely to have a packed church with everyone belting out hymns that they they could recognize or, or, or you know and 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 enjoy and uh, you know you often do notice I think as a church going and the, the kind of marked difference between uh, a lovely old parish church that is packed out for such occasions or or a carol service or something like that compared to your average Sunday where it's um, you know you're lucky if it's if it's half full maybe even lucky if it's a quarter full mm. um, the other thing that strikes me is a ch- uh, church going anglican i'm 32 so i'm I'm, i am young and i am i'm often not not including my wife and children i am the youngest one there by a considerable margin often Uh, well actually well also the exception of my of of our our new rector who is who is only a couple years older than me and is i mean he's, he's marvelous he's absolutely fantastic fantastic rector we're very lucky to have him. I think but in the old
1: days, somebody that age probably wouldn't be made a rector. I just, yes. I, I yeah, that, I'm sure point. he's wonderful, yeah. but I suspect that yeah. you'd have to wait a bit longer. In the Possibly, yes.
0: Yeah. But the, but, the uh, but I'm afraid that I think the decline that you're talking about of numbers, I mean, that's just a sort of pretty universal problem across the country. I, I'm sure there's data on, on whether it's happening more in the country or more in the cities. I mean, you mentioned Catholic immigration boosting numbers. I think that... That is true to Anglicanism to some extent as well. There's a lot of sort of there's a lot of um, you know black African Anglican churches which they're often boosted by by immigration numbers in places like London, but in more rural parishes, yeah, I think I think it, I think there is a, a sad decline. I mean, no one has has a, the answer of what to really do about it, but but th- that that is how it is. What what I do like though is I like, I do see glimmers of attempts within certain parishes and within Church of England to care more about the language and liturgy. I hear that the, the, the Book of Common Prayer Society is enjoying a lot of new members signing up. Often those members are younger people who... who they like to be... They like to have language which will take, takes them seriously. It doesn't dumb down to them. And, which and is interesting and because of, there's a
1: corresponding enthusiasm for the Tridentine Mass, very much as the, the, the Pope... Um, viciously tries to suppress it. There's a corresponding enthusiasm among young Catholics. I think part of the recipe for slowing the decline, put it that way, is getting the music right. Now, you mm-hmm. talk yeah. about weddings and funerals, and they are a yeah. different sort of thing. Nonetheless, people belt out those hymns because they're hymns that they know. Yes. They're good hymns. they stood the test of time. I think it's tremendously important for every parish that can afford to to have a proper organist, if not professionally trained, then at least yeah. equipped with absolutely full skills. Yeah. Uh, we had wonderful Lois Lets who can play the organ properly, you know, with the with the pedals on, on holy smoke last year. She was terrific. And a choir however small up in the gallery that will sing when the congregation doesn't. And that's what our parish priest has initiated. It's very good, yeah. In in Bayswater, and so same hymn on both these occasions. Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, yeah. and actually, that's a little. Just forgive me. There's a little sort of hobby horse of mine. I'm very interested in hymns, not so much the words but the tunes, mm-hmm. and it's a Praise my soul, the King of Heaven. Now I've got a horrible voice. So you have to excuse me, <laughs> but it's, it's a little example of one of the traps that um, can be um, avoided if you have a properly trained choir and organist, which is that the the tune. One assumes it is written in 4 4 time, and the congregation assumes it's written in 4 4 time. So they want to sing 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, but it's not. It's actually, if you did it in 4 4, it would come out as 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. In other words, and if the organist knows what they're doing and there's a choir up there that knows what they're doing, it all comes off beautifully. But if they don't, <laughs> the congregation wants to sing it in four yes, four yes. and the orga- and and the organist probably wants to sing it in two four and he's got harmonies to fit into and he can't because the congregation is racing ahead and it's just I just feel if you can get the music right, mm. even if it just means singing some well known hymns properly. Yeah. I think one of the reasons people like weddings and actually why like they do like funerals as well. Yes, well,
0: because it's, it's a time where the the I mean the music... I, I, don't, you, I don't need to say this to you, of course, so I'm sure you you you, you completely agree, but, but the music in a church service, if it is done well, is perhaps some of the most um, moving experiences you can have in a church. I mean, I... I um, before we started recording, I, I was, I mean, we were talking about um, how I mean, every time I hear the words in Love Divine or Love's Excelling about um, entering every trembling heart, I, I, I often do get a little bit teary. And I hear that hymn all the time because it's at every single wedding you know, ever um, in an in a Anglican church. Um, but it always does make me quite emotional and not just because I'm not a... And I, a I
1: feel rather the same way about Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, yeah. which is my favourite hymn of all time. Yeah. And... This is one of the blessings of the ordinariate, which um, gets treated so badly by the bishops of England and Wales and is given so little encouragement. But we had a memorial at service of my sister and we sang that hymn. In fact, it's an interesting situation because the parish priest, the rector, Father Mark Elliott Smith, is a, was a professionally trained organist himself. And, but they, in addition, they have for normal Sunday masses and even on which they've introduced, mm. along mm. with benediction, g- goes along with benediction in the ordinary age. Um So they get that absolutely right. So when they sang The Lord and Father of Mankind, I was able to say, can you include the central section of Parry's glorious chorus from which the tune is taken, which can be turned into a verse which you'd normally never hear? And they said, yes, of course, absolutely. Oh, so yeah. for one verse, the choir sang a different tune, which is actually... Part of Perry's original score, and, and that was wonderful. Yeah. And that was one of the sort of gifts. One of the, when you talk about Anglican patrimony, yes. I think the hymns are definitely oh, an completely. important part of it. The problem is, of course, that most people. The thing about weddings and funerals is that it's like people who've been in public schools know these hymns. Yes, but yes. otherwise people don't know yeah. these hymns. It's not now. No, not even the
0: best-known ones. That is very true. That is true. That is that is sad. But are you, I, there are things in which which do give me cause for. To, to be more encouraged uh, and I do think this is to do with if you're lucky with getting a good rector as we have in our little rural community in in, in Sussex, uh, in Etchingham because I think it is so much of a parish system in the Church of England is just about the trust that you can build with a particular rector and if you have a good rector you can make some very good improvements so for example I've, I've brought along a couple of our um, uh, our service sheets for from our church so here's our old uh, family service sheet from before have this, have this new rector. So this is for when this is for when there's sort of very small children. It's meant to be very accessible language, um, and I understand that. But the, but the, the, the sort of choices of the liturgy here are quite extraordinary. I think because I just don't know what the source is for. I think I suspect it's just kind of made up. I mean, it's things like in the Thanksgiving, it says, "Let us give thanks to God for the color and forms of your creation and our place within it." I just don't know what what that's about. Or in here in the confession, uh, it says. Um, we have done things that we should not have and have missed some opportunities to serve you. I mean, which is, it, interestingly, the sort, of, like, the
1: sort of complete bollocks that's coming out of the, 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 the Vatican Synod. But what, yeah. re, what I found really horrific yeah. from this old family service sheet yeah. is the creed, which goes, we believe in God the Father, yeah. from whom every family in heaven on, on earth is named. We believe in God I, the I Son. I don't know where that's from. Now, yeah. the, the Church of England, I am absolutely certain, has not given parishes the authority to well, rewrite the Nicene Creed. Yes, That's I, what it so. is. I I just
0: don't know where that comes from. But, but it, in, in contrast, I mean, here's the new family service, again, for little children. And, and the, the, the words are very accessible, but it is, our rector has been very careful to choose it from a proper tradition. This is, this is a translation of the um, Trision, which is early church father prayer. It's still used very much in the Orthodox churches, I believe. The welcome prayer begins: "Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy on us." And, you know, it's very, it's it's completely accessible language for children, but it's not just kind of made up from sort of nowhere. It's it's been put together by someone who's thought very carefully about it. You know, it 's thought about the different sources it comes from and drawn from the different wells that are available to anyone who's a who's putting together a Church of England service. Because again, the Church of England has that flexibility; we can kind of put things together from these different sources. But it all just depends on the, the, if you have a, a rector who cares about such things and, and pays attention to it. I mean, if you're unlucky, you could get some real... Here, here's one that I, I don't like at all, that luckily we don't have in our service. This is from the Church England website, and it's, it's called it's under Prayer G. <laughs> so this is something you, you can use if you want. And it says, From the beginning you have created all things, and all your works echo the silent music of your praise oh god what does that mean it's completely (laughs) it's just nonsense isn't it it's like a parody I mean it's
1: like it's it's like an Alan Bennett vicar parody
0: isn't it I just don't know and also I just don't know where it's I I could I'm I'm by no means an expert I'm just a church-going Anglican I have no qualification there may be that may be drawing on some old church father tradition I don't know about but to me, it reads it's written like, by a rather deaf yeah, church yeah, father. Yeah, yeah. Who, yes. yes, that's just, that, just that, just that, that's ridiculous. that's
1: that's ab, that's absolutely horrific. But um, you, you
0: just and, and I think this we're, we're so like like all things in Church of England, we have such a fantastic inheritance of language if we only choose to take it. And, and so much um, of
1: what you say, mutatis mutandis,
0: yeah, just about the only words
1: of Latin I know <laughs> apply to the Catholic Church as well. It depends yeah. on the parish yeah. priest so much. The sp- despite our supposed uniformity of liturgy, so much depends on the parish priest. And also, there's no such thing officially as churchmanship in the Catholic Church. So Mm. you can go from somebody who celebrates a very reverent and... Um, perhaps liturgically elaborate and beautiful mass to somebody who who celebrates something horrible and infantile, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Whereas in the Church of England, the parishioners can protest. I remember years ago, on the local paper in Reading, um, a high churchman was put into a suburban parish in Caversham, and he introduced all sorts of ritualistic things, which of course absolute uproar and the local one of the leading parishioners was the leader of the Conservatives on the, on the borough council and he kicked up a stink on this particular priest who asked to be called Father which was more unusual in the 1980s than it is now um, didn't last long mm. but it is a question of getting the right priest yeah. I do notice somewhere that is obviously got things right in my opinion is St Bartholomew the Great the very yeah. opposite of a rural parish which has got the well-loved Reverend Marcus Walker yes. And I saw that the King visited the parish he did the other he day yeah. now i 'm interested Calvin pointed out that it was the first feast of Christ the King in which England again had a king, which yes, was that's a very good point an interesting point mm-hmm. an interesting Erastian point yeah. but it was, um, particularly as Calvin's not in the official Church of England, yeah. but anyway, Marcus and the the Prince of Wales as I think of him oh uh, I have no, to no, stop that to Marcus and his Majesty yes. What I dislike, incidentally, is the habit of calling him King Charles, which yes, is you completely, call him the king. completely ridiculous. You couldn't be king. Yeah. Um, Marcus and the King seem to be getting on famously, and I almost felt like tweeting out, I hope the King will appoint or at least use Marcus as, as one of his advisors on the Church of England. Yes. Um, because I think I was was almost going to ask you, can the king save the Church of England? It's a silly question in a way, because demographic factors will ultimately determine what happens. But what's interesting about the king is that he's very interested in church music. Hmm. And he's interested in the way things are done. I don't know whether he has the all-consuming, powerful, rock-solid Protestant faith of his mother. But he does like things done properly. Um, he is a particular enthusiast for the music of Sir Hubert Parry, mm. um, who wrote *The Lord and Father of Mankind, and who is the only Old Etonian great composer, I think, almost great composer I can think of. But um, he's great. He, he did a television documentary on him. I wanted to ask him what, what sort of beneficent influence do you think the king might well, exercise on the Church a, of England? It's such
0: a good question. Um, I'll tell you what I was very encouraged by, actually, was the king's accession speech where he talked completely explicitly about the Church of England and seemed to me to completely understand his role as its new Supreme Governor. There was all this talk, I think it was in the 90s, uh, possibly even a bit later, where there was, sort of hints, there was sort of hints from the Prince of Wales, as he was then, that when he came to the throne, he might like to uh, be the defender of faiths. Or, or defend- faith. Or, or faith. faith. And he yeah. said so quite explicitly. He said so quite explicitly. Uh, I know, I, it was, I, in, it was now, in The Crown the other day. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. And, but now he's now he's acceded to the throne. I see no evidence of that, and I'm I'm quite grateful. I know, I can see what, what he's thinking. He's thinking there's so few believers here, uh, we need to sort of huddle together for warmth, and he thinks it's a sort of benevolent thing, but... I'm very against it for a few reasons. Not least of all because it sort of goes against—it's um, a very delicate tradition. We have to be very careful about such changes. But also, you know, it's very presumptuous. I mean, as a as a Catholic, you—I you, don't know—I I, can if I'm wrong here, Damien, but I imagine you don't want an Anglican, to say, I am your defender. Well, Surely you've got, you know, you, you look to the I'm less Holy See. I'm less
1: certain. I just certainly don't look to the Holy See at <laughs> that moment. I certainly don't. But the problem with being a defender of faiths or yeah. faith in general is, does that also make him a defender of the Church of Scientology?
0: Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, how do you exactly? Or, or and and again, it's very presumptive. Of I mean, I don't. I just don't know if you know what what imams might think about it, or rabbis, or you know, they they've got their own sort of power structures, their own symbols of authority. But we know, of course, that that prayers are said in synagogues for the king, even though he's not head of their church. That already exists. I think a lot of the religious freedoms in this country are owed to the fact that although the the king or or monarch, so the the queen as, as before now, uh was the supreme governor of the church of england because of the re- religious liberties of this country other faiths and other denominations and so on they, they they can all recognize the sort of religious importance of the monarch without having to be a sort of official you know the king as the defender of faith uh title i, I yes. think i think i to, to sort of mess with that balance is something i would be uncomfortable with but as i say in the accession speech uh, i there's yeah. I was really encouraged by, by everything that... I was very glad sense.
1: he retreated from that. Can I just um, mention one little bugbear of mine, of which is the, the king's relationship to the Church of Scotland. Ah, yes. Why does the king worship in the Church of Scotland when he goes there? It seems to me absolutely ridiculous that the king should become a Presbyterian I know, yes. um, somewhere you know, so, you know, on the train journey or on the plane flight, because the theologies are so different. And I simply cannot understand why they've... Well, I suppose I can understand, given how it's Protestant to, the royal family yeah. was, but to attend a Presbyterian no. communion service is not the same thing. Well, they wouldn't attend a communion service, it but it, 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 the, the, the Church of Scotland has quite distinct beliefs from most Anglicans. Some Anglicans are, are Calvinists. That does strike me as rather strange, a real anomaly, way, that the Church changes, changes denomination it's and very, beliefs, very beliefs about the Eucharist, beliefs about all the, yeah. the sacraments. As soon as he crosses the border.
0: Yes, I mean it's surely it's surely unique actually. I can't think of another sort of similar example. No, um, indeed. But I, it must be a, for the pure kind of uh, historic and political reasons of. of endless uh, tension between the two kingdoms and this is the sort of solution to... Uh, yes, it was. But, um, Absolutely.
1: Although the, the practice of the royal family attending Presbyterian services was started by hmm. the intensely anti-Catholic, effectively Lutheran Queen Victoria. Yes. Um, so, uh, And in fact, a, a lot of Anglicans were scandalised back in the 19th century when, yes. when um, Victoria started attending the local Kirk, Balmoral. But um, given that, so far as we know, Our next king is not especially interested in matters religious, as far as we know. It's almost as if there is necessarily, given that in his 70s, a relatively brief window of opportunity for him to exercise beneficent influence. And I wonder, given the constitutional constraints, what that might look like. I'm not sure that the removal of certain constitutional constraints has been a good thing. For example, the entire removal of the prime minister... Under Gordon Brown, yeah. from choosing bishops, has basically allowed Welby to choose whoever he yes. likes, and has made the Church of England, as Marcus Walker complains, very, very centralised. Yeah, not at all democratic. Very demanding in terms of in terms of money. Yes, very sir. micromanaging.
0: Exactly. I agree, I mean I think that I think it was a mistake for Gordon Brown to take away those powers because you know we, it is the established church. You know, it does. It's always been connected with politics. And you know, we had, that's why we have bishops in the House of Lords. I mean, the, the idea the Prime Minister should give up his or her role in the decisions about bishops, I think, is a mistake. And I see no reason why, you know, because, just because the Prime Minister of the day might be a Presbyterian or might be, in the case of Tony Blair, a sort of secret Catholic, or a Hindu, yeah. Hindu such as Rishi Sunak. I, I don't see why that is a is a problem. In fact, if anything, it means they, they probably take will take the decision quite seriously because they don't have a... Dog in the fight in the same way church-going Anglican Prime Minister might. So I, I think I think there's a mistake, and um, it
1: might have a beneficial effect if, as is sadly the case at the moment, the leadership of the Church of England has become obsessively politicised. Yeah, to the left. Yes, and if you do have a Tory government, you might have a Prime Minister saying, "Do we need yet another jargon-spouting socialist in a major C?" Yeah, the
0: jargon is such a problem because again, it is. <laughs> I said it before in this in, in this conversation, but that we, we we're so lucky in the Church of England as Anglicans to have this inheritance of beautiful language. If we only want to draw from it, my favourite part of the liturgy of all, which is in most Church of England services, although some rectors like to cut it, I think they find the language almost too sort of visceral. But I think it's magnificent because it's just so profoundly Anglican. Is the prayer of humble access because that is pure grammar. So. It is as Anglican as it gets, really. But this sort of... And is now said in Catholic churches. Is it really? In
1: the Catholic churches of the ordinary. They've taken... Although well, it is a very beautiful thing, yeah. the, the Roman rite as um, adapted by the ordinary to include parts of the Book of Common Prayer. And one of the lovely things you hear, here for the first time, in the case of cradle Catholics like me, is the Prayer of Humble Access.
0: Wonderful. I mean, don't you always think the line... of uh, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. I mean you can just picture it. You can picture the table, you can picture the crumbs. I mean it's like it's so sort of physical and immediate and and, and I think I, I that's why I think that certain erectors in the church of England perhaps of the more evangelical persuasion they they almost don't like the sort of physicality of it because if you're an evangelical you sort of you everything everything physical makes you probably a little bit more uncomfortable. I'm being a bit unfair to evangelicals uh, there but but you do sometimes get Rectus, you like to sort of skip over the prayer fumble access, which in my opinion is just a great shame because it, I, I think it's, it's as Anglican as it gets and it's beautiful language and it's just exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about in terms of an inheritance which we should be proud of and, and, and stick to, I think.
1: Well, you used the image of churches huddling together for warmth mm. earlier. I think that is very much a situation we're in. In a sense, we're in new territory, because I think there's been such a collapse of confidence in the papacy under Francis. Mm. This strange business of him saying he recognises Anglican orders, which he told Greg Venables, Mm. who was Archbishop of the Southern Cone and an evangelical, that he did, and I'm sure he did. He didn't make it clear whether he recognised women's orders. We just don't know. Everything's in such a state of confusion at the moment that um, sticking together insofar as we're able to is... More necessary than ever before, and we needn't deck it out with with the jargon of ecumenism. Yes. I don't think yes. yesterday's word. Exactly, I, think.
0: But I completely agree. Well, so good to talk. Absolutely. Let's do this again. Yes, please, David. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.